We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Good morning Scott. Scott. How are we doing? Doing well, and you? <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Excellent. So we're going to start things off with a case study on estate planning. Yeah, and it, this it I had uh, I had a call last week from a client of mine, and uh, normally this would be a call from the adult children saying, you know, our mother or father is failing, and we're right. concerned. Uh, is there anything that we need to be thinking about from an estate perspective? And, um, you know, and as we, all of us that are sort of in our fifties or sixties, you know, our parents are likely in their late eighties or nineties or possibly even a hundred at this point. Mm -hmm. And, uh, for, for many of them, it's, they may not still be wanting to handle their finances anymore. So Mm -hmm. they may have just through power of attorney, given that over to their adult children. But, Mm -hmm. um, so I got a call last week from Mary and Mary is 93 years old Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it, it started off with, she kind of just said, well, I think, I think I've got a bit of a problem. Mm-hmm. And I said, Mary, what's your problem? And she said, well, I was, I was just back from the hospital and uh, I had to have a transfusion. Mm-hmm. And the doctors have told me that I have some internal bleeding and things. Right. So I don't think I have much time. Right. And at 93, you know, mm-hmm. she said, we, we had a good long chat, as mm-hmm. which that sort of uh, led into a discussion about uh, having had a great life mm. and that so many things that she's been blessed with, uh, and she, and just some, some background that we were, uh, caught up to speed on was, you know, I actually found out that she's been a, a client with IG wealth management for 38 years. Wow. So mm. she started and I, I'm coming up to 35 years mm-hmm. in October. So she was before my time. Mm-hmm. And, um, so she started when she was 55 years old and it was just at the crossroads where she was starting starting to think about her own retirement and mm. getting ready to do that here in Hamilton. And um, so about 15 years ago, well, sorry, back it up a bit. So her uh, advisor, her financial planner with IG passed away. Mm-hmm. And so 15 years ago, I became her advisor and uh, it's been you know, a great relationship and I've seen a lot of transition. So at that point, uh, 15 years ago, um, she had decided to sell her home mm-hmm. and just rent. So yeah. it was, her husband had passed away, she was uh, on her own, and it just made sense at that point to not have to look after anything. The mm-hmm. idea of just renting and simplifying her life made a sure. lot of sense. So mm-hmm. the home was sold, and the proceeds of the home were invested to help pay for her rent, et cetera, and, uh, and she was doing great. And she lived actually in an apartment in Dundas for about 10 years, mm-hmm. and then about uh, five years ago, decided that um, it was too much at home, uh, preparing meals and doing all of that was becoming overwhelming. And she had support, her family, her two yeah. children were still around, adult children, who are now retired, of course. Uh, and, oh, wow. <clears throat> yeah. you know, so so they, um, they've been supporting her as well. But, um, you know, it became too much. So she decided to move into assisted living, to a retirement home. And uh, so she's been a, a key feature in the retirement home because she has cognitively 
all of her faculties. Yeah, she knows cool. exactly That's what's great. going on. Mm-hmm. Um, she'll be the first to call me in, in January at some point to say, can we top up my tax-free savings account? And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so still engaged in the process and yeah. the financial planning process all the way along. It, it does kind of lead to the fact about women planning in general. Yes. How, you know, how her husband's already passed away and she's still alive. And this is quite normal. We find obviously, you know, the women are living longer. Mm-hmm. So, that, you know, you're planning for a different retirement. So when, you're, when we do planning, and quite often we, we meet them as a couple. Mm-hmm. And yes. then it's like, okay, well, just in case, we don't know who's going to pass away first, but in the back of our minds, we're always thinking, okay, the women generally outlive the men. Yeah. Yes. And you have to look at here, she is 93, you said. Yes. Wow. And I can, probably most people aren't thinking, okay, I'm going to live probably to 95, so I got to plan for that. Yes. Most people don't plan that far ahead, and yeah. women particularly. So, mm. Well, it was, it was interesting because a couple of years ago, I had uh, adjusted her plan <clears throat> from age 95 <laughs> to, oh, okay. to age 100 because yeah, I thought, sure. we're getting awfully close. Like the chart's, <laughs> looking, the chart's looking pretty slim. <laughs> it's only going out like two or three years. What happens and, uh, when they're not three on the bars. <laughs> three bars. And what that happens when they're not on the graph anymore? <laughs> <laughs> I know. So um, and it was actually, I got, a, um, I got contacted from our head office just in terms of our compliance department. She said, now you've just, we noticed that you've changed this plan to age 100. Is that? Like, what was your thinking? Well, yeah. I said, well, she's, you know, 90 now. Almost so there. Yeah. <laughs> we're, you know, it just kind of looked funny to think, well, here's your end date. Yeah. <laughs> it just looked a little quick. And oh, we man. joked about that as well yeah. um, with Mary. So that was fun. And, you know, so for listeners now who are thinking, well, I've got a parent in this situation as well. One of the first steps mm-hmm. to make sure is that you've got an up-to-date will and power of attorney. Mm-hmm. And so those were in place for Mary uh, a number of years ago. And um, her daughter has been the power of attorney looking after things. But I've never had to deal with the daughter mm-hmm. based uh, in terms of any of her financial dealings because, right. again, she has uh, all of her faculties and has been engaged in the process all the mm-hmm. way along. So, you know, like, looking back, I was in the historical journal of, of our relationship, and I, I know that her key goals were, of course, to uh, not outlive her money at mm-hmm. retirement and going back you know, 25 years ago. And of course, she also was, it was valid, important for her to be able to leave an estate mm-hmm. to her two children and potentially grandchildren as well. So, um, so with that in mind, she was uh, very cognitive of not overspending, but at mm-hmm. the same time, she looked after all of her needs. Mm-hmm. And um, so, as I mentioned, every year she maximized her TFSA and, and this year we put in a 6,000. So she's maxed it out 63,500, which is currently worth 85,000 today. And her net worth has, she's been using up some of her capital over time, particularly in the last five years as she transitioned into the assisted living right. because it costs more. Sure. And we'll talk about that in a second too. So her net worth today is about 465,000. And, um, when we analyzed her estate, so I used to joke, say, Mary, well, if we kill you off, here's what it's going to look like. Yeah. And um, she will owe about $28,000 in tax, and we'll call that the estate tax, but basically it's capital gains tax. So right. that, those investments over time, she, in addition to just taking an income, they've grown as well. So there's some capital gain there that she has to pay tax on. But uh if all things come together as we've planned it, she'll, she will have no probate tax. That's and great. I know that's the little tax, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, on this type of estate, you know, it's maybe three, four, uh, you know, five, six grand would be the total maximum. But mm-hmm. it's, um, uh, we did some planning a number of years ago where we did, and the two, one thing that I always stress about these situations is that be careful about money accumulating or building up in bank accounts mm-hmm. because 
The one thing that can sort of put all your probate planning out the window is if you've got too much money sitting in a checking account or a savings account or multiple institutions, because those institutions get a little bit leery about releasing the money Mm -hmm. without probate. And um, the larger the amount, so as soon as you get over, I'm just going to throw out a threshold and every branch is different, but if you have 20 grand or 25 grand or more in a banking, a bank accounts, uh, you, you may be subject to everything then being probated yeah. <clears throat> because they will not release those funds without probate. So whatever else planning you've done, mm-hmm. your assets are all going to be subject to probate. So we had, um, we were cognizant of that as well. And she keeps her bank account down around 5,000. Mm-hmm. So we're not worried about really the chances of probate right. from the financial institution are minimal. And she has some money with us in a non-registered investment, a mutual fund that is about $24,000. And, um, but because of her relationship with IG, we can, and every institution can do this. This is important to know that you can ask for an institution to waive the the requirement for probate. Mm -hmm. So even though a bank may ask for it, you know, you can ask, can we do an, can we apply or can you review with your, uh, legal department, the, the opportunity to, uh, pass on the probate. And what would be the, the criteria for that? So generally, um, they would want to know, well, you know, if you just had, uh, one beneficiary, for example, right. or you had uh, a very, you know, a very straightforward will. So usually they would want to get a, a copy, certified copy of the will. Um, they would want to understand where is the money going? So mm-hmm. like who are the beneficiaries are going to be? And then they would also request you to, as executors, sign off on liability. Right. So, you know, you're going to sort of relinquish any right, right to right. sue them or come back to them right. in the form of um, any litigation. So uh, the non-registered account with us, again, I, I don't see that as an issue. It's 24000 We will be able to waive probate because of her relationship with us for that on that amount. But the majority of her money, <clears throat> as I mentioned, there was 85000 in the tax-free savings account. And of course, the tax-free savings account has her two children named as beneficiaries. Right. So... That's going to go directly to them. It's not subject to tax and it's not subject to probate. The other piece we did years ago into what's called a segregated fund. And in a segregated fund, it's like a mutual fund, but because it's issued through an insurance company as a non-registered investment, you can name a beneficiary. So both children are named as beneficiaries on that segregated fund, basically meaning that at her death, it'll go directly to them, no requirement for probate. Um, And it's very straightforward in terms of providing us with a death certificate, and then a distribution can be made to the adult children. It doesn't get faster than this. This is getting quick. This is pretty pretty slick, and Mm -hmm. she was always very motivated by this and happy that it was going to be simple for her mm-hmm. children as well. Mm-hmm. And um, so her her net worth was is going to be basically made up. She did have a small life insurance policy of $10,000. It's still in force. And so, uh, it was a permanent policy. A segregated fund of about 340000 Her tax-free savings account, 85000 Checking account, five grand, And this non-registered account with us, 24. So total about 465000 And income-wise, everything's been great. She has uh, pensions from uh, work, uh, OMERS of 24000 a year. Her Canada Pension Plan and Old Age Security were 21000 a year. And we were taking money from that segregated fund, about 1100 a month, to meet her costs for her care. And uh, so total income each year was about 62000 
And she was continuing to donate every year, so about $1,000 to various charities that she supported. And uh, her care, her just her, sorry, her living expenses at the retirement home, which for meals and everything else mm-hmm. was forty two thousand, about 3500 a month. And then um, she continued to do gifts every year. Christmas was an important time, birthdays mm-hmm. to the tune of about 3600 a year, 300 a month. And then her own personal sort of entertainment and personal expenses were 100 a month. And then medical costs have increased over the last little while. So she's up to about 700 a month, month in terms of medications, et cetera. So she had enough money coming in to meet all of her needs. And, uh, and even with inflation along the way, we've been covering that and her monies have been now sort of holding their own. She's in, a, in that sort of equalization. So it's, I think at the end of the day, um, an estate plan is something that uh, is, it evolves, it can evolve over a long period of time, yeah. or if a crisis comes, it has to evolve very quickly. But mm-hmm. there's some key steps involved, understanding what's, what are the pieces, what are the moving parts, how much would probate actually be, what kind of tax implications are there going to be to the estate, and how can we simplify it. There's lots of different strategies to kind of make sure that uh, you're not going to drag this thing out longer and make it as simple as possible. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And take a peek at the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, .com. You can listen to old shows there and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Talking about supplying a retired income strategy. A retirement income strategy for minimizing taxes while maximizing income. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting. Uh, it, it's becoming more of a c- more of a dilemma. It's a it, it double-edged sword. People obviously want a, an income when yeah. they retire and to live on, and they want it dependable. But there's no longer the defined <laughs> defined benefit plans that mm-hmm. they used to have. So they are having to take some risk with rifts. And then they also have the other side is how much do I take out of my investments or my rifts? I don't want to lose my old age security. Right. And I don't want to pay a ton of tax. I want to defer maybe the tax. Mm-hmm. And the tax is really sometimes a tail wagging the dog. And rightfully so. It's kind of interesting. Um, going back to when Trudeau got elected, the first thing he said is in his low hanging fruit is simply increase tax for the rich. And everybody loves that. It's a, it's a thinking, well, rich people, <laughs> they got tax, they got yeah. money, they can pay the tax. Sure. And what is considered rich? And this is defined as anybody making 220000 or more. Mm-hmm. And most people think, well, that doesn't affect me. This is great. Till so you again, die. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Did I jump ahead too far? No, just a bit. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. Because all these middle class people that have been pouring money, in, money into their RSPs because they don't have defined benefit plans, yeah. eventually, and Andy was just talking about estate planning, it's the same thing. All of a sudden, they're rich. Mm-hmm. They're rich for one year. Mm-hmm. On the second death, if they're married, it's on the second spouse's death. Mm-hmm. And to have $500,000 in an RSP is not like a whole ton of money. No. 
you know, you think about it at say 4%, $500,000 would get you 20,000 a year without touching the principal. Mm-hmm. And most people can't live on that. So all of a sudden you're rich. And now it's like, okay, well, yeah, I'm, I want those rich people to pay. Wait a second here. It's the middle class that really hurting because all the people building up the RSP wealth are generally the middle class, mm-hmm. okay? And because it used to be, well, when you died, my pension went to my spouse. And when she or he died, the money was gone. Yeah. Nobody had any tax to pay mm-hmm. on that. It was just part of it. Now, having said that, there was no money left for the kids either. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of okay because you knew you had this happy life and you had this happy money coming in every month. Yeah. You know, and no worries about the stock market, anything else. So it was showing. So what they did, they actually increased the top tax bracket by 4% the, when they got elected, um, anything over $210,000. That was on Catherine Wynne's increase of 3% of anybody over $220,000. So in a period of less than a year, the highest tax bracket went up 7% to 53.5%. And I don't know Andy and I, uh, we are- Which everybody or most people would be at the day they pass. Right. Because everything's liquidated. Everything's liquidated. And he was talking about capital gains. Yes, at least they're taxed at half that tax rate, but they're still added to that income. Mm-hmm. So then if you even had, say, $50,000 left in the RSPs, more than half of it's going to go to the government. Yeah. Okay. So, and the worst part is with the RSPs, you probably, I can guarantee you, you did not save tax at that level. Mm-hmm. Because these tax brackets are, have only been around for four years, not even. So most people save tax at say 40% when they put money in the RSP. And then the estate is going to pay 53.5% on the way out. Basically, you lose, government wins 13.5%. So we do a lot of planning, Andy and I, in December. It's actually one of our busier months now. We Mm -hmm. have talked about what you just said a few times on this show. Mm -hmm. Why does that not resonate? Why Why does it not make it into the mainstream? Great question. Absolutely great question. This is a, I, I just talked to a colleague of mine and, uh, and he talked about a past employee of Investors Group that has now gone to another institution and it's a credit union. Mm-hmm. And they look after, you know, lots of people's money mm-hmm. and they, she gets, he or she gets paid mm-hmm. to sit there and look after the money. Mm-hmm. There's no planning. Yeah. And they get paid pretty good dollars to sit there and people walk into their office. Yeah. They look after a hundred million, 200 million, whatever the book size is, but there's no planning. And this is where the difference is made. For all those people out there in that world of credit unions, you should be talking to another financial planner Mm -hmm. just to get a second opinion. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, products are products. They're going to do about the same. Whether it's RBC, credit union, investors group, you name it, they are about the same. Returns are going to be similar. But the planning makes a difference. And if you can save your estate 7%, 10%, 20% on assets at death, that's money you're taking, you're basically government's taking away from your kids. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I, I don't care if about, you, you know, for me, I don't care if it's 10,000, 100,000, doesn't matter what the dollar amount is. I'd rather go to my kids than go to the government. But lots, of, and of course you can't answer this question, um, but, but lots of uh, politicians will, uh, and one in particular, will stand up and say, you know, I'm rich, we should pay more. I'm rich, we should pay more. Why doesn't the other politician stand up and say, you know, the day you die, you are, and this is what happens, and this who th- this is who this is targeted at? Because there's far more people that are going to pass away with that kind of wealth than there are people making that kind of money in the country. That, that, no question. So they're going to gain more tax dollars from the middle class dying yes. than they're going to get by taxing rich people. Absolutely. Mm. No question. That's why they don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. I answered and, my own question. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is where the estate planning is so key 
to make sure you do it in, in, in a very well-designed order of liquidation to maximize your income while you're alive. Mm-hmm. So you're not paying too much tax while you're alive, but you're also decreasing the big tax bill at the end. Are you surprised? And I'm getting too political here. You guys are financial. <laughs> but are you surprised? Can you tell it's a bee in my bonnet? Can you? Are you surprised opposition parties haven't jumped on I this? I am so yeah, surprised. Point. I am no. so surprised. I brought this up as soon as this budget came out. Everybody's talking, even accountants yeah. were saying, oh, well, it's, you know, they're really only hurting the rich at least. I said, no, they're not. Yeah. And then I, I told an accountant this. He says, you're absolutely right. Yeah. He started telling his his yeah. clients and they hadn't thought of it that way either. Yeah. This is a, a hidden estate tax. Yeah. Um, and so even though it isn't an estate tax Someone should se, tell Andrew Scheer. Uh, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> well, he could go after that. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a, uh, the, the, the reality is, is that the, the complaint that I would get is that I'll have a client who's uh, was a beneficiary of an estate, mm-hmm. and they'll look at me and they'll say, "Oh gosh, you won't believe the check we wrote for yeah. my mom's estate or my dad's estate for income tax." Yeah. Boy, did they ever get killed yeah. on those RSPs yeah. or whatever yeah. riffs or whatever it was? But they're still receiving, you know, forty-seven yeah. percent of a million dollars, and they're thankful. Yeah. But they, it shocked them how much they were paying. Yeah, yeah. But it, for, and that's due to lack of planning. That's yeah. due to a lack of planning at the parents' side. Yeah. It's, the kids couldn't have done anything yeah, about it at right, this point. Yeah, right. And they're not, they're still inheriting, all, you know, half a million or $470,000. Right, right. But they could and have had another 70000 I know. Had it done differently. I know. Yeah. And, but they don't, but it's still, it's like they feel like they're lifting, right. looking a gift horse in the mouth right, because they're right. receiving the money. Right. So how much are they complaining? And the government knows that. Exactly. Absolutely. And that's yeah, why. No. So it's a silent, it's yeah. a silent tax yeah. in many and, ways. And, and it absolutely doesn't get a big rah-rah <clears throat> because- That's it, the new name. I'm going to call it the silent tax. It is a silent tax because <laughs> the dead can't complain and the beneficiaries are thankful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So what it turns out to though is taxing the rich is an easy way to help everybody out, Right wrong. It doesn't work. That's the other part about this, which is really interesting. Well, they are taxing the rich, but what they're leaving out is they're taxing the middle class as the they pass class. away. No question. Mm-hmm. But it has been proven that when they increase the, the uh, income tax brackets, these high income earners actually decrease productivity. Yeah. They start making less money. Why do it? Yeah. And, and actually, probably the best ones to look at are millennials. Mm-hmm. They have actually turned the dial yeah. in terms of the happiness factor. It. it says, it. you know what? I'm here to have a good time. Yeah. They're going to take that much from me. Not, no, no, not I'm not doing it. that. Yeah. And it's actually changing the way, not only millennials, it's actually contagious. Mm-hmm. You know, the baby boomers are thinking, you know what? You know, my son's what got, I, what, yeah, yeah, what, <laughs> he's got a point here. You know, I'm glad yeah. I raised a smart kid, yeah. you know? And the other thing is secondly, Aggressive tax planning. Andy and I are busy, super busy in December, trying to maximize every plan we can to minimize income tax, maximize income, and get the best bang for your buck. Where, you know what, if it was only 46, yes, still tax planning, but you had that, once you get over that 50% threshold, people do not want to get past that, right? And again, I'm not a person who's in the highest tax bracket, Mm -hmm. but that would piss me off. I mean, like you're giving up more then you make more than half of what you make. Yes. And so it turns- But you can't complain about it because you're dead. (laughs) Yes. Or you're receiving a windfall from the person that is. Yes. Yes. So actually the Fraser Institute did a full study on this called the revenue effects of tax rate increases on the high income earners. And for every 1%, the high income bracket, the top bracket goes up, the amount of taxable income goes down by half a percent. They find other ways. They just drop right, their income. Right. They actually earn less. You become more motivated to, yeah, d- to yeah. save or tax. Yeah. Exactly. Earn less 
or aggressive tax planning. They call their financial planners. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> so even though there might be a short gain uptick, it slowly gets, gradually goes down yeah. as people think, you know, it's, it's just not worth it. Yeah. Why do I want to work at 47% of my, you know, whatever I make? Yeah. So, and, and again, like I said, the millennials are probably the smartest of the bunch. They say, I'm not doing that. Yeah. So, so they end up, end up actually receiving less tax dollars, which has been proven time and time and time again. This is the funny thing. And yet they still go to that same well. So on that note, these RSPs are simply the low-hanging fruit for the government. Yeah. As you just said, Scott, this is the low-hanging fruit. So what do we do with them? Now, I have to say, they're, you know, we're, we're, let's say we what, got the RSPs or the government? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll I'm sorry, the, I lost track we'll again. With, yeah. <laughs> we'll start with the RSPs here. But... Let's take a you know Joe, Joe Q public here, and let's say you know one sixty five years old. Let's call him Joe, <laughs> and we'll call uh, oh who who should we call Mary? Joe and Mary. Mary sixty two, and between the two of them, have done a great job income splitting. They have five hundred thousand dollars in RSPs, and a hundred thousand dollars in TFSAs. They've topped up. They've worked their lives, so they get full Canada pension plan, and they will get old age security. They've been around Canada for say forty years, so and they need. 62,000 year income indexed for life. So what should we do? Well, the traditional way of doing it is they simply say, okay, I'm gonna start that old age security and Canada pension plan as soon as I can. And that honestly is what Andy and I, as much as we talk about taking that, uh, delaying the CPP yeah. till at least 65, most people are saying, no, I'm doing it 60 or 62 or whenever they retire, mm -hmm. I'm entitled to it. And as Andy was just talking about that 93 year old, how much money would she have left on the table yeah. by taking it at 60? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like we're talking over $100,000 of payments. Mm -hmm. Okay, money that she would have definitely needed and it's indexed. It would have been more than 100,000. That's just the, the, the net without indexing. Mm -hmm. It would have been a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. So what we worked out on here is let's take a, a very conservative rate of return, 3%. And because it turns out that one in 20 times in a balanced fund, you'll get about 2.7%. So we, we, we took the pessimistic view, and let's just say you're one of those 20. One in 20, it didn't do 5%, it did three. And uh, so what it works out to, it's kind of interesting. If you do it the normal way, you start off with OAS, CPP, when you can take it, and start taking your RIFs out, and it's, you would be out of money at age 83. It'd be gone. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, it would simply be, it would disappear, and all you'd have less would OAS and CPP, and you'd have to major cut in income. So plan A of doing it without a lot of planning, it just ran out of money. Yeah. And most people, at least one person of the relationship will live past 83 years old. And in Andy's case, 93. So 10 years of now you're only getting CPP survivors. Well, if you're already getting full CPP, you don't get that either, OAS. So not a great situation. They came out with, um, and we did a show on this uh, not long ago, but I did like, because it came out of the US. We talked about this over, Oh, two years ago, and, and then the, um, the Liberals came out with this advanced life deferred annuity where you could put money aside and you start your annuity at age 85. And so in this case, let's take 75,000 of that 500,000 and we'll buy this annuity. And that will give you about 23,000 a year at age 85. Right. Now, if you don't make it, oh well, you don't get it. Yeah. But it's, 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 old age insurance. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that 93 year old wouldn't have mind having that extra 23,000. It's like 000. a second plan. It is, mm -hmm. yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. So then what you do is you simply take your, your riff and you start drawing that down 
and you're still taking your CPP and OAS whenever you can. Unfortunately, you ran out of money at age 80, and you're basically not living high off the hog for five years. You're boring off your kids or doing whatever you have to do. And thankfully, you have this uptick of income of 23000 a year when you're 85. Mm. But there's a five-year gap. So this didn't quite work out either, right. unfortunately. Um, still not about, it's certainly a better plan than the other plan. Yeah. But it, it, it still didn't work out perfectly. And every situation is different. And this is why you have to run through these numbers. You can't just say, okay, well, that one didn't work. Well, it actually did work. You're still, you just had five years, you ran out. So then they say, okay, what if... We didn't even use the Advanced Life Deferred Annuity, which I'm actually in full favor of. I love that product. I, I saw it in the U.S. about five or six years ago and said, why, aren't this, why isn't this in Canada? They brought it out. So this will be a great, um, another product for us. But what if you simply delayed your CPP, both of them, both spouses, until 70? What happens then? Well, the RSPs, because you have to really go into the, the RIFs and the RSPs quite quickly and the TFSAs, they get eaten up really quickly at the beginning. But, boy, do you ever get an uptick because instead of getting 1100 a month Canada Pension Plan, you're getting a 42% increase at age 70, which is almost 1600 a month. It turns out, and also their index, it turns out by simply delaying the, R, the CPP, you actually have a very good income and almost um, your $62,000 index for life income for the rest of your life. Hmm. So it turned out that plan three was the best plan of simply delaying kind of pension plan till 70. And I don't think there's a lot of people that look at saying, okay, I want to delay my kind of pension plan till 70. Unless they're still working, they probably yeah. will. Yeah, right? that would be the ones that <coughs> might yeah, be. Yeah. Um, even then though, if they're working, a lot of them take it 65. I know. And then they say, well, I'll pay tax on it. And, it does, and it's hard to, it's so funny. Most people think they're going live, to live a long time. Except when it comes to their Canada Pension Plan. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to the Canada Pension Plan, well, what if I oh, die soon? I didn't want to put all that money and not receive any benefit. No. And honestly, if you, th if you think the advanced life deferred annuity is good, delaying CPP is almost the same thing, but it's an index pension. Hmm. So again, talk to your financial planner. All three scenarios might be the best one. But in this particular one, it turned out delaying CPP was the best. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Going to take a quick break. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And don't forget the website, andyanddon.com. We're talking about cottage planning. Well, the summer is here, isn't it? Yeah, it finally. Feels, yeah, exactly. So everybody's racing up north and mm -hmm. east and south, whatever, to head to their cottages. And uh, so questions often come up about this, particularly as our clients have aged and they begin to think about the transition of the cottage to the next generation. And you know what? The, the, the solutions are all over the map. Yeah. But there's 10 guidelines or things to think about. I just want to run through quickly. Oh, but I thought cottage planning was, you know, which, which are you taking the 407? Yeah. yeah, yeah. What room? You know, what are you going to bring? Don't what get me started. Actually, a client, a client of mine just said, you know what? Called me up and said, I sold the cottage. I go, yeah. what? Sold the cottage. Too much, too much 
infighting with the yeah, family and everything yeah. else, and they were all shocked. They're not happy with me, but it's done. Five years from now, they'll thank me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good point. So anyway, fi- family cottages. Number one is um, principal residence designation, and we you're just being aware. And this one is probably fairly common knowledge, but. You are allowed to designate one of your residences, whether it's the one in the city or mm-hmm. the cottage up north, as your uh, principal residence. And clearly, the the place that has the largest capital gain right. is going to be that one with the principal residence. So you only need to make that decision at the point where you're selling one of your properties. So, But the principal residence one is a big one. Number two is tracking your capital improvements. And boy, that's important because I've just, you know, just a conversation this week with a client who had a rental property and we were talking about some work that they did. Did you keep the receipts? Oh, no. Oh, well, we can get them. Good. Keep a track record because all those capital improvements reduce the capital gain that you're going to pay when the property is sold. So it's important to make sure that you're doing that and do it for the city home too. Mm, Right? That's where people forget. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, the cottage, cottage, or the rental property. But in case you want to designate your principal residence as your home, city home, you, or sorry, uh, principal residence cottage, then you want the city home capital gain to be smaller right, by using right. those adjust, yeah, uh, those yeah. uh, capital improvements as well. Um, don't forget uh, that we also have, um, you can defer the tax on a transfer. So if you're going to transfer the cottage to your family members, you can take back a promissory note, which basically says that I'm selling the cottage at fair market value and I'm going to spread the payment to me over the next five years. Mm. And the purpose of that is to reduce the amount of tax that you're going to pay in terms of capital gains. You get, as the owner selling it, as the parent selling it to the children, you're going to get to spread your tax burden over five years. So it makes a lot more sense, keeps you in a lower tax bracket. Uh, be careful of selling the cottage below fair value. This is often people will think, oh, I'll just sell the cottage to the kids for a good price. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to be burdened with a mortgage, et cetera, and they'll give us a hundred grand or something mm-hmm. like that. Well, the problem is you end up with double taxation because they'll inherit the, the, the property at fair market value, but their adjusted cost base is lower, so they're going to have a larger capital gain. Right. And you're still going to have a capital gain on the fact that you've sold the property and transferred it to them. Um, Basically, the other thing that you can do is you can shelter a property uh, on two properties with a family unit. So a spouse, uh, back in 1982, you remember this? You were allowed to have two principal yeah, residences. At the time you were, yes. Yeah. So if you own the cottage pre-82, make sure you talk to a tax advisor about how to look at getting the two uh, principal residence exemptions for that period of time. Right. Well, they had to be <clears throat> separately owned too. It couldn't be joint ownership. Okay. So back then. Mm -hmm. And similar to that is the $100,000 exemption, which was in 1994, which allowed you basically to bump up the adjusted cost base. We've been in this business too long. I know. We we know these years. You can bump up the adjusted cost base by 100,000, basically reducing the taxation by 100 grand, mm-hmm. capital gain of 100 grand when you sell the property. Um, I think I'm up to number seven, and that is writing off any maintenance costs. Well, we know that you can't deduct any mortgage interest on a, on a property, right, in general, so mm-hmm. or property taxes. Uh, but if you rent out the cottage for part of the time, Mm -hmm. you uh, can then deduct those expenses against the rental income. Mm -hmm. So that helps to either, generally you're going to just write off or try to zero out your costs Mm -hmm. on the rental income. Uh, And so that's great to know. But the other one, which goes along with that is that you 
also want to make sure that you, uh, sorry, you can, I just lost my track here. Uh, you can defer tax, uh, sorry, you can shelter the, where, where was I? <laughs> <laughs> One thing I did want to Oh, sorry, change of use property, which is what I want to talk about. So you don't want to, if you're just doing it for a couple of weeks or, or a partial period of time, then you haven't changed it from a, a principal residence to a rental property. Right. But if you convert your cottage to full-on rental, right, then different. it's now a change yeah. of use, which mm-hmm. means you've actually mm-hmm. triggered the capital gain. Right, uh, right. Potentially, you basically sold it because it's yeah. a change of use and you'd have to pay tax. And I did speak to a uh, client this week, actually, on rental property. And this would also do with a cottage, and they're using capital, you know, depreciating it. Mm-hmm. And it's not my favorite thing to do because this is an item that appreciates in value. So yeah. eventually, mm-hmm. you're going to be hit with recapture. Yeah. So it's all added to your income yeah. later. Yeah, yeah. And again, cottages always seem to stay in the family until so they finally die. Yeah. And then the kids all scramble whether they want to keep it or not. Well, all that recapture is just like a big RSP. Mm-hmm. It's all added to your income at death. Yeah. So you may have saved tax, say, at 30 or 40% when you started, but yeah, you could yeah. pay 53% <laughs> on the way out. Yikes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and the other one that I've seen happen as well, I've had a client who owned a cottage, but there was a significant piece of land that was considered ecologically sensitive. It was not allowed to be built on. And basically, if you donate, if you can create a structure where you can donate that ecologically sensitive land, then you actually get get tax break on that amount and it, it makes sense. Mm. It's a lot of paperwork involved. It yeah. took her about three years to do it, but um, she did end up with a nice tax break at the end of the day. And finally, if you're a U.S. citizen or you might be subject to U.S. estate tax, just be careful because uh, at death, the value of your foreign property, including that cottage, is going to be included and you may be subject to U.S. estate taxes as well. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Going to take a quick break. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. All right, who are the happiest in Canada? The rich? Yeah, well, you, you got actually you're hitting Seems half. Obvious. The, yeah. There's a very yeah. uh, obvious point there. You're absolutely right. Um, but just backtrack one second. We were just talking about a 93 year old, but guess who's turning 152? Canada. Canada. Oh yes. Yes. Right, yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> on Monday. So you know, happy Canada Day, everybody. And on, on that note, I want to say, well, who are the happiest people here in Canada? And it turns out that... Everybody's ticked off now. No <laughs> one's happy. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that, Scott, because where do you live? What province? Ontario. Yeah. Yeah, least happy. Mm-hmm. We're the least happy? <laughs> least yeah, happy. I heard that. Yeah. yeah, no question. We'll get to that in a bit too. But shuffle it turns here. out that we should all be part of the happiest group. We're over 55. That's right. Yes, mm-hmm. I saw that this week. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Uh, also, if you earn more money, you're also happier. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's actually interesting. They ranked happiness, um, you know, basically out of 10. And the happy factor, say, eight, 8 out of 10. 50% of people in Canada ranked the happiest, which mm-hmm. is 8 out of 10. So it's a nice, an interesting survey. And one thing I thought for sure is our urban or city dwellers would be less happy. I had that in my head. Mm-hmm. It turned out no rural or urban. They were about the same. Yeah. Yeah, so I was definitely wrong there. But which area in Canada is the highest happiness factor? Uh, Newfoundland. Well, that's part of the overall group, but you're oh. absolutely right. Um, the, the East Coast. Coast. Maritimes? Yeah. Wow. The East Coast, the Maritimes. Okay. Um, 
I don't know if they they split they didn't split that up by province. They just gave the whole East Coast. They're all happy. They're all happy. <laughs> <laughs> they're all eating lobster and having a good season. Screeched in. <laughs> but the second one is the one that surprised me. Second happiest. Second happiest province. So fifty six percent of people if at the high level. If it surprises you, yes, that's a hint. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. So I'll say Quebec. You got it. There you Look go. Look at you. <clears throat> Look <clears throat> at you. They were just a notch below these coasters at fifty five percent. And so virtually That's tied. That's all wrapped around their finger. <laughs> well, it's actually interesting. They, um, they, they kind of go on this joy of life. They actually have it in a French saying, but it means joy of life. And they l- literally live more in the moment. Yeah, that's true. And it's interesting. When I uh, go to different conferences and we have a Quebec contingent, I swear, you stick on that music and it doesn't matter what they're There's doing. They are the first ones on the <laughs> dance floor. They are making the best of that moment. Yeah. And we kind of edge your way to the dance floor next thing you know we're we catch up to them about half an hour later but they really do get the party going so uh yeah quebecers are um um the second most happy as a province now they're one of the most taxed provinces they are there but they have also uh a, um a lower cost of living because yeah. housing costs are lower yeah. Yeah, good and point. they have infrastructure or government benefits support through daycare and mm-hmm. other things so they're kind of looked after but they're taxed highly as well right Maybe yeah, a peace the, of mind with that, maybe mm-hmm, somehow. Mm-hmm. Oh, no question. You know, standard living is what you end up keeping. Yes. You know, rather than, you know, oh, good, you made 100000 but you needed it all simply to pay your property taxes, mm-hmm. put your kid in daycare. So, yeah, that's not a happy situation. Right. Uh, then you look at uh, the third happiest was BC. Mm-hmm. And so that one there actually I thought would have been the second. Yeah, yeah. But they were actually 52, um, you know, a good three points below Quebec. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, so you got the... You know, East Coast, Quebec, BC, and then everybody else was kind of almost tied. But then all of a sudden there's this big drop, Ontario. And they looked at Ontario. It's kind of interesting. Uh, not living the moment. In fact, if anything, we kind of look back at our past, over our, looking over our shoulder. Oh, geez, I wish I did this and you know, this mm-hmm. and whatever. Or they're looking too far in the future. Mm. Oh, you know, I'm not where I wanted to be. You know, if I can just, you know, drive a little harder, I'll get to this goal. And they're looking, they're not enjoying the ride, so to yeah. speak, where Quebec definitely is. Smelling the roses. Smelling the roses. <laughs> but it also went a little further than that. The 18 to 54-year-olds, their, fa- their happiness factor was 44%. Mm. Only 44%. Discussion of them. about loneliness as a big factor, whether it's retirement or even yeah, during yeah, that sure. the millennial stage too. Mm-hmm. 55 plus was 61%. As soon as you have Freedom 55, that's it. And maybe this is what they meant by Freedom 55. You're just happier. You you may be working, (laughs) (laughs) but you're happy. And because what happens is there's a lot of drivers that seem to be affecting happiness. And certainly, it's interesting, money is one of them. If you make less than 40,000 a year, you're at 44% of those people are hitting the high high, um, happiness factor. Mm -hmm. At 80,000 a year, it jumps to 53%. And at 80K plus, it's 58%. But there's not much really more. If you're making 100000 or 80000 not a big difference there. But 80000 to 90000 seems right. to be the sweet, sweet spot. You're not going to increase your happiness factor. In fact, only 8% said that money was a driver of happiness. Only 8%. Hmm. Also, that same 8% said satisfaction in a romantic relationship was the reason they're happy. Right. Yeah. So money can can't buy you love, I guess, but it really doesn't matter anyway because neither of those <laughs> <laughs> made you that happy. Mm. What mm. actually turned out to make people happier was the sense of freedom. Mm. So if you uh, have a you know a fairly good life where you get to do what you want to do, 
and even your work, for example, allows some flexibility. Mm-hmm. That is a massive amount of, if 24%, by far is the number one, followed by a close second of 19% living the life they imagined. Mm-hmm. And those are the two keys factors of happiness. Now, money, to a certain extent, would get you to that sense of freedom right. and also help you to live that life. So at the end of the day, you know, you, money does help, help. But as I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. millennials are showing us all this is being happy is what you have. It is being grateful for what you have. David, it, David Lee Roth had a great line. Uh, from uh, Van Halen. Uh, Money will not buy you happiness, but it will buy you a big enough yacht you can sail right up next to it. (laughs) (laughs) Right up next to it. So, anyhow, happy Canada Day, everybody. Mm. And in the meantime, live the moment like those Quebecers and enjoy life. All right, we have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. They'll return your call and check out the website at andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Thank you, gentlemen. Fantastic. Thank you.